right, you are in the synchronous city. This is your host, Jared McHugh. So in this podcast, I interview artists, creative people of all types, uh, community organizers, entrepreneurs, all living in and contributing to Albuquerque, New Mexico. In this episode, I interview Matt Higgins. Matt's an illustrative artist, PhD student working in positive psychology. And I'm just going to say, he's a renaissance man. (laughs) Dude is a renaissance man. And by that, I mean renaissance in the true sense of the word, which is rebirth. So during this conversation, Matt describes rebirths throughout his life. He discusses how he used to work 80 hours a week training basketball players. He, He was an athlete and coach. And... And then how he made a shift to focusing really on art and his his PhD research. And like I said, his research is in positive psychology, which, as I understand it from this conversation, is the science of our potential for creative rebirth as, as happier and healthier individuals. Matt also talks about how art helped him through his grieving process when his father died a few years back. And I'm sure as anyone who's gone through a grieving process knows, that that can be a serious rebirth, birthing pains at all. So this is a really poignant conversation, a really beautiful conversation that I'm really grateful to have had. And it was special for me too, because um, Matt kind of helped me get back onto my own sort of artistic journey. Uh, He and I were neighbors living in in the uh, university area around UNM. We were both grad students at the time. And, uh, and in those days, I wasn't really an artist. Like, like I was, that, that inclination was there, but I didn't fully think of myself as an artist yet. It, it wasn't something I was really doing consistently. I spent most of my time really partying and, and reading poetry for school, which was, which was cool. It was, it was fun. It was good. But, but there was something really fundamental to who I was that, that was missing, and that missing piece was art. And Matt would always be hanging out on his balcony drawing, or, or we'd be in his apartment, and he had these amazing wall murals all over the walls, all over the place. And, and it really inspired me to just pick up a pencil and, and start drawing for the first time in years. So, so really, my, my own rebirth as an artist was inspired by Matt's rebirth as an artist. So it's like these series of rebirths and within rebirths within rebirths. Matt talks about... Uh, the person who inspired him to start drawing. So it's like this this lineage. It's it's really beautiful, really wonderful. And, and, and I think that's kind of what being human is, right? It's just constantly inspiring each other, constantly watering each other's seeds. So if I hadn't felt inspired by Matt's art, I'm not sure where my own art would be right now, or even where my own happiness would be, or hey, where my, where my own positive psychology would be. And one of my great hopes as an artist now and and as a podcaster is to inspire other people to go down their own creative paths, to create their own rebirths in in whatever medium, you know, makes sense for makes sense for them. So, like I said, Matt's an illustrative artist. We make a lot of references to his art during the episode. So I'm going to post a bunch of his work to the Sync City Pod Instagram. You can also go to Matt's Instagram, that's at HiggsDigs. And as always, if you want to get in touch, maybe you want to be on the show, DM me, or you can reach out through my email, synchronicity505 at gmail.com. I appreciate it. What's up, dude? How's it going? Not bad. 
just uh, basking in the glory of being done with my semester. I've been sleeping in and drawing a ton. All right, nice, nice. Yeah. So done with your semester. So I know you're doing a PhD in positive psychology, right? Yeah. Yeah. One thing I was curious about was um, drawing as positive psychology. Is there is there some kind of interrelationship between the research that you do in positive psychology and the drawing that you do? Um, Oh, and also you might want to find positive psychology, you know, for, for any listeners who are unfamiliar with that term. Yeah. So that's usually the first, this was, this was my first year in, in my positive psychology degree. My degree before this was communication. So I spent a lot of time just hammering down the foundations of the field. And the first week is really establishing what it is. And the best way to think of positive psychology is as the opposite of traditional psychology. So traditional psychology looks at how things that went wrong in the past are making life hard now, whereas the opposite, positive psychology, is how things that are going well now can be used to thrive in the future. So it's that complete um, opposite perspective, and it's yeah. all about well-being, it's about thriving, and it's about how to do more of it going forward. Um, so thinking about my specific work, I look at resilience. How can we develop it? How can we understand it? How can we basically enact it strategically? Um, and I've looked at it from a few different perspectives, but I'm really focusing on meaning in life, purpose, and how, and passion as well. It's really passion is the driving term, I guess, behind yeah. that relationship that I'm looking at. But how are the things that we're passionate about, how are they helping us through hard times? Um, and that has a very personal connection with me, like we talked about earlier. It's just... Uh, it's something that I've been able to kind of lean on to, you know, just give me something to do when, when the stress is too hard. But it's also something I've used to kind of understand my own feelings and my own emotions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because um, I was telling you, you know, after my dad died, the first thing that I was able to start doing again was drawing. And um, I think it was maybe like six weeks after he died, I was like, fuck it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to draw how I feel. And yeah. so I just didn't even think about, I didn't try to come up with concepts. I just sat down, put pen to paper and drew how I felt. Um, and it was a huge cathartic process. It helped me right. understand the differences because um, grief can feel the same all the time where it's just like, you just feel like shit. But drawing it helped me understand the nuances of, of that feeling and it helped me understand myself and it really just hammered home this idea of the things that we're passionate about. That's what gets us through the, the, just the hard parts of life, the darkness, the trudging, the daily monotony, the things that are grating our souls into oblivion, the passion, whether it doesn't matter what your passion is, doesn't matter what gives you meaning in life. It's just that you have it. And that's what helps you make that choice to be resilient. That's what helps you stay motivated to be resilient. That's what helps you find new ways to be resilient. And, you know, these are things that I learned on my own outside of that academic setting. And in the PhD, I'm trying to actually have some scientific studies that back that notion, that back right, my own right, experiences, right. that give it some sort of scientific and quantitative and, and qualitative credence so that I can have this really robust foundation to speak on. It's not just my experiences. It's also prior research. And it's also research that I've done as well that shows that the passions that we have in life are more than just the passions. They are the driving forces in getting us through the shit of every day. So yeah, that's um, 
I don't know. That's the ramble version of what I do. <laughs> that was a good version. Yeah. So, oh man, I was thinking of like 12 different things as you were speaking, but <laughs> one of them is, okay. So it sounds like positive psychology. Part of what you're doing is sort of making the active decision to create your future in a, in a, in a way that you'd like to create it rather sure. than sort of just passively drifting into your future. Right. Yeah. And one thing that strikes me about your art is it's kind of, I guess, ubiquity. It seems like your art is literally everywhere. So right now I'm sitting in, in uh, Matt's apartment and his drawings are on the wall. He has he has wall murals all over his apartment. Um, there's paper drawings of yours pasted or uh, taped to the wall. Um, you're also covered in tattoos <laughs> um, from various artists, some yeah. of which is yours and some of which is just artists you respect, different art, um, tattoo artists and everything. So your art really is kind of all encompassing, you know, yeah. which is literally on your body, in your space. And, and I think, yeah. I think the way we live in our space is often a projection of what's going on internally. So it sure. seems like art really does just pervade sort of all levels of what you do. And in that sense, you're creating your space in the way that positive psychology suggests that you create your space, you create your future, you create your life. Do you, do you think there's something to that? Yeah. I mean, you know, one of the, one of the, I guess, like pillars of, of reefs, I don't want to say pillars. It's just one of the things that many researchers focus on, on when it comes to how do we create, how do we help people thrive? Yeah. And there's a lot of things that you can focus on. You can focus on positive emotions. You can focus on engagement. So how engaged are you in your work right. and the things you do? You can focus on relationships, but one of the common ones is your environment. And yeah. that's one of the big things for me. That's why I have a lot of my art up, but I also have other people's art, you know, the three small ones, there's my friend in Maryland. The one oh, above cool. was my friend from Australia, who was actually one of my tattooers. I went to get a tattoo from him and we became friends and that's <laughs> why I have that. And out in the other room, there's a lot of other art up there. And so it's just, and that's also why I have plants everywhere because part of what helps me thrive is having a lot of control over my physical environment. Yeah designing it in a way that I find aesthetically pleasing, but also find, you know, some emotional attachment to it as well. You know, like some of my favorite memories are exploring cities, which is why the mural in my office is a giant cityscape. But, you know, I've got that up there that the whole uh, vibe that the tattoo artist was kind of trying to encompass in that piece was just good luck because oh, cool. you need yeah. a lot of good luck in life and just things like that. And so it's about kind of taking control of my physical environment in a way that kind of maybe it doesn't facilitate thriving but it isn't an obstacle to it mm -hmm. and so it's not you know you can't always do things that are just going to help you thrive but you can have right, this motivation right. of doing things so that they're not working against your flourishing working against yeah. your thriving um bare minimum it's it's neutral in your attempts to do well in life mm -hmm. and so that's kind of this idea of why my art is just kind of everywhere and like you said a lot of my tattoos are my drawings i'd say well maybe not a lot i have 52 and i think 12 are my drawings so about a quarter of them yeah but that's still a lot i mean that's me yeah, taking sure. my art everywhere i go even if i don't have one of my drawing books with me which i normally do i usually have my drawings everywhere i go but even if I don't, I still am wearing them on me permanently. Uh, but yeah, it's um, it's something that I'm always thinking about. And that, that creative process is huge. And that, oh God, one of the things that I just like, 
I wish more people would stop saying is that they're not creative because I think everybody is creative. <laughs> yeah. They just haven't learned how to unlock it and they haven't yep. learned in what realm they are creative. Exactly. Like you'd come into my office and you'd see my drawings and you'd be like, oh yeah, he's creative. Uh, but I'm not creative in the kitchen. I'm not creative right, right. when it comes to designing research projects. I really rely heavily on old research projects and I make a couple of tweaks. I'm not creative in those aspects. I'm ha fortunate enough to have discovered that I'm creative when it comes to drawing. But, you know, it's like that for everybody. Everybody has this baseline of creativity and it's just a matter of learning where and when you can unlock it the easiest and use it to your advantage. And for me, I've learned that it really makes a difference to, to draw and to be creative in those aspects. Mm -hmm. And that really helps me just take control of my environment and it helps me thrive a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. No, that's something that actually really pains me um, as a high school teacher myself when I yeah. hear my students or literally anyone in life, people who are 50 years old saying, I'm not creative. How do you do that? How do you mm -hmm. do that? And it's like, just try, you know? <laughs> and then people sit there for five minutes and make a yeah. few lines or yeah. maybe if music is the thing they're trying, maybe yeah. try and hit a note or two. And if they're not immediately Mozart, if they're not immediately mm -hmm. Picasso or some shit, then it's, well, I'm just inherently bad. And it's yeah. like, no, you're not. And, and I don't know where that comes from. I mean, yeah. I have no idea where that attitude that you either have it or you don't comes from. I'm not yeah. sure if it's like built into our society and culture, if that's just sort of like yeah. a product of um, internal self-doubt that maybe yeah. just part of the human condition. But either way, to disabuse ourselves of that notion is so, so liberating. Yeah, and it, it could be, you know, when we were talking earlier, we were talking about how the industrial era really influenced a lot of, right. of how society works now. And it, it could be kind of a, an old symptom from that where it's just mm -hmm. like, you know, everybody works at the factory where you show up, you go to your spot on the assembly line, you do your three things yeah. for eight hours and you go home. No creativity. Yeah. Exactly. And so that, that, that might be a leftover mindset. And that's one thing that I get frustrated with, similar to you, where people feel like creativity is not a skill. Where it is a skill. It's something yeah. that you can choose to do and it's something that you can get better at by doing more of it. And people don't realize that, you know, creativity is actually really easy to develop the skill of. That's one thing yeah. that's studied pretty regularly in positive psychology is, is the relationship of creativity and all these other things. Mm -hmm. And one very simple way to just boost your own creativity is to use household items for things other than what they're designed for. Oh, interesting. So instead of only using your hangers to hang shirts find some other use for them. If you've got a window that won't stop slamming in the wind, use a hanger to back to, to latch it in place. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just real simple things like that. Mm -hmm. Up there I've got my plant hanging from hair ties. Yeah. It's it's stupid, but it's simple acts of doing things differently, which is yeah. all creativity is. It's doing right. something differently. So the more times that you can practice doing things differently, using things for something other than what they're designed for, it trains your brain on how to unlock that creative side of it. Yes. And yeah. so it's a really simple process. And the more you do it, the easier it gets to do when you need to do it. And the easier it gets to do it for sustain, sustained periods. It's just like lifting weights. Your brain functions just like a muscle where if you aren't accustomed to doing curls for 30 minutes, the first time you try to do it, you're going to burn out after 10 seconds. But if you continue to do it day after day, day after day, day after day, you'll develop that muscle memory. You'll develop that specific strength. You'll develop that specific ability. Well, the brain's the same way. You can train it to think in specific ways, just like you can train the body to move in certain ways. Yeah. But we have this 
unfortunate misconception of how the brain is where it's just like, well, that's just who I am. And it's like, well, yes, that is who you are, but you do have more control over it. Yeah. Um, and so that's another reason why I'm kind of drawn to art and positive psychology because it is this idea of like how can we do more of this good stuff exactly how can how can we enjoy it while we're doing it Mm -hmm. um so I don't know it's it's one of the I guess unfortunate sides of our society that this we there's too many people with a fixed mindset not enough of them with that growth mindset exactly yeah and I think that's so so huge and actually just to compliment you so we, we were neighbors, uh, Matt and I were neighbors, um, circa, <laughs> I don't know, 2017, yeah. 2016, something yeah. like that. And, um, I, I had drawn a bunch as a kid and then kind of stopped for a long time, partly because of that fixed mindset where in my head I was, I'm not good at this. So mm-hmm. it's not my thing or something, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then I saw you drawing just a lot you know and I remember seeing a wall mural in in your apartment um, at that time that really struck me and I was just like that's cool I was like that's freaking cool you know and uh, and and it just kind of sparked something in me where I was like it it inspired me where I was like cool this dude's doing it and I and I remember you saying like how you didn't start till kind of you know sometime in your 20s yeah um so then, you know, that, that inspired me. I was like, yeah. okay, let's sit back down. Let's give it a shot, you know, and immediately like got kind of addicted to it yeah. where I was in grad school at the time. So ultra, ultra busy teaching yeah. classes, um, writing papers, but then I would use, you know, what little time I did at 2 a.m. to just yeah. sit at my desk. I had no money. So I had this like fold out table, like nice. a card table inside yeah. my um, studio apartment. It would just sit there have a beer and just like do it and just yeah. give it a shot. And it yeah. felt so natural and yeah. so good and, yeah. and important. Um, in Buddhism, they have this idea of like the beginner's mind, which is sure. you go in and you don't really have the skill set, but mm-hmm. you have that enthusiasm mm-hmm. for it. And I, I kind of had that and you yeah. sparked that. So thank you. Um, and that was, you know, three, four years ago, something like that. And now it's become such a fundamental, crucial yeah piece of my life yeah. and it doesn't get easier I should say too part yeah. of like a growth mindset it's not that you do it for a long time and then you're in a constant state of flow and mm-hmm. then everything's just simply easy mm-hmm. like it's still hard it's just hard at a different level you, yep. you know what I mean where yeah. take piano or something like that when you first sit down to learn piano it's really hard to like play a play a scale or something like that but then when you're playing for 10 years it's hard to sit down and play a piece by Beethoven it's yeah. just different levels of difficulty it never yeah. gets easier it just gets more intricate yeah you know? yeah that i mean so my my drawing story is actually kind of similar so I, I drew as a kid um and stopped i don't know why i stopped i don't really remember i think the last time i remember drawing was in sixth grade um i probably drew a little bit after that but i don't remember much anyways so i didn't draw for probably like 10 years and then in 2013 I was working at a gym and I had a co-worker who drew on her breaks and I saw her drawings which is like that's fucking cool man yeah, yeah. can you can you show me how to do that and she's like yeah what do you want to learn how to draw first and she would draw a lot of jellyfish and I was like show me how to draw a jellyfish yeah cool she's like it's super easy you just do a half circle with some spaghetti coming off the bottom of it. Like, all right cool so I'm standing at the front desk and at this gym we had a daycare and um, I'm, I draw, I'm drawing a jellyfish and one of our members comes in with her two young boys and one of them, he sees the jellyfish drawing. He's like, hey, can I have that? Absolutely, dude. Take it. Have yeah. fun. 
So he goes into the daycare and within like two minutes, his little brother's jealous. So he comes and he's like, can I have one? And I'm like, yeah, whip one out really fast, <laughs> take it. And then he goes back into the daycare and every single kid that leaves the daycare after that asks me for one. And so now I have this list of like 20 different drawings that I, that these kids asked me for and I can't do them at work. So I'm just like, I'll do these at home tonight. Great. Yeah. And I've drawn essentially every day since then because it was just so much fun to sit down and create these things. But like you said, it, it never, it doesn't get easier. Like it used to take me like two hours to draw a realistic looking jellyfish. Like I had to <laughs> perfectly yeah. pencil it out and like put in every single detail and it takes so, so much time. And now I can do that same kind of jellyfish in like 30 minutes. But that doesn't mean it's easier because there's other things that are more intricate and complicated that right. I've drawn my interest, like doing a big wall mural 10 minutes at a time and learning how to develop my patience where yes. in the yeah. first like four years, it was learning how to develop the basic skills and now it's learning how to develop the patience and my ability to come up with more creative concepts and piece other things together and expand my drawings um like the genres and topics and just the things that i draw whereas before it would just be a jellyfish with like a triangle <laughs> in the background but right. now it's like yeah. blending outer space into the jellyfish and yeah. doing an octopus and doing only half tones and line work and like all these different things right and it's this exploration of a growth mindset that i didn't really think i was gonna have like it started off as just doing doodles for kids because it was fun and now it's just like well after 10 years or eight years i've seen that i can that i got better and it's like mm -hmm. all right well i'm excited to see how i get better five years from now exactly yeah and so it, i don't know it's just um it's just something that I've, I've, it's been a really pleasant surprise in my life. Something that was never planned and that's something that is probably going to be there forever. Like I can't imagine this changing because it's become such, um, such a piece of my identity now where it's mm -hmm. just, I think about going on a trip with somebody like a, like a weekend trip. And my first thought is like, how am I going to draw on this trip? Like when, yeah, when will I find yeah, my yeah. 40 minutes to draw for a little bit? Like that's, right. that's all I need. I just need 40 minutes and we can plan out the rest of our day and do all the touristy stuff, but I need 40 minutes to draw. Yeah, yeah. But that's one thing about positive psychology that has really helped me with my art is in uh, 2018. Yeah, 2018, I went to go present at a positive psychology conference in Budapest. And one of the presenters there was talking about his work on the brain and creativity. And what he found is that the brain is more creative when it's tired because creative really? thinking, yeah, creative thinking is about thinking outside the box, you know, outside the box oh, so is interesting. outside of these normal societal logical reasoning rules, right? In society, we're taught how to think logically and reason and, and think with reason. Some people more than others, but for the most part, there's a structure to being reasonable, to being logical. And it takes that it takes effort to apply those rules of reason and logic. And when we're tired, we have a harder time applying those rules. Mm -hmm. So the best time to do creative work is early in the morning when your brain is first waking up yeah. or late at night when your brain is tired. Oh, wow. Because yeah. it is harder for it to put those rigid rules onto your drawings and so or whatever you're creating. And so just by nature of your brain being tired, your work is more creative. 
Yeah. And so what I have done for the last few years, and I've really enjoyed it, is that especially as a graduate student, because you know it's it's a grind. Like it's 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 long days of just sitting in front of a computer screen reading and writing, and, and your brain mm-hmm. gets really tired. So what I really like to do is late at night, when it is the most exhausted, is come up with concepts because they'll be more creative. It's bringing in all these different elements and it's got these different perspectives. And then in the morning, I like to do the shading. So at night, I'll sketch out a really creative concept because my brain is exhausted. And then in the morning, I'll come up with this really creative way to shade it and finish this initial concept. And so by doing, by breaking it up between the tired night brain versus the tired morning brain has led to these really wild and cool drawings that I don't know if I would have been able to do had I not learned that bit about just how the brain functions in terms uh-huh. of being creative. Um, so that's one of the like very specific ways that positive psychology has impacted my art. It's taught me how to unlock the creative side of the brain, which I think is really cool. That's incredibly cool. Yeah. And that speaks because that's something I've always kind of done. Um, I guess kind of unconsciously, not so much in the morning. I've always kind of been a night person, but yeah. once it hits like, 10 o'clock and this is almost like a problem I'm trying to fix like once it hits like 10 o'clock my brain is just like going you know what I mean where I cannot like I'm tired but I'm also like I want to draw everything I want to read everything I want to do it all and then I don't sleep that much and then I'm freaking exhausted and you know not you know work doing my best at work or something because I'm so tired so Mm -hmm. I'm trying to like get that in check however that's one of the perks of being a school teacher is that summer is I become nocturnal where I'm just like you know, up until four in the morning, just like drawing because I'm in that like weird nighttime tired space. But there's also something to like, um, craft and technical skill though, that for me at least is, um, being in a waking state is, is more conducive for that. So, so sometimes I'll draw like late at night and get the image down Mm -hmm. and then do a cleaner version Mm -hmm. when I'm, you know, totally, totally there and awake the next day. Yeah. That's kind of the same process. Like Create that 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 concept when you're tired, exactly, and yeah, then uh-huh. just do the technical work when you're not tired. And so that's kind of one thing that that we study in positive psychology as well as approaching that from a work perspective. Where when you need to just be filling out paperwork, do that in the middle of the day, like when you don't, mm-hmm. when your brain can just put in those rigid rules and just and it functions how it functions. That's when you just do your paperwork, make your phone calls, send your emails. But when you need to be doing your more creative work, so like for you as a teacher, you know, in the middle of the day, if you if you can, that's when you should be doing your grading. Right. Whereas yeah. when you're designing your classes for the week, when you're designing the material, the discussions, the lectures, the activities, do that when you're tired because it'll be a yeah. more creative product. And then in the middle of the day, when your brain is just at its societal functioning peak, <laughs> uh, that's when you do the more uh, monotonous tasks. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of how I, that's another way that I approach my drawings too. Like in the middle of the day, when I get that hit of just like, I feel like drawing, I'll just draw things. Like it's not about coming up with something creative. It's like, all right, well, I, I haven't drawn a rose in a, ro- in a while, so I'll, I'll just draw a rose or I haven't drawn a hand in a while. So I'll just draw a hand and it's about practicing the technical skills. Whereas when I know I have that opportunity whether it's in the morning or at night, that opportunity to be creative, that's when I start exploring new concepts and, and piecing things together. But it's been, I don't know, I don't want to say that it's been pivotal or 
um, crucial for my art experience. Like I don't want to, I don't want it to sound like I wouldn't be here today with my art if I wouldn't have learned those things in positive psychology. But I do kind of feel that way. Like yeah. it has, it kind of gave me like this some juice because I've been burnt out on art a few times where it's just like I'm not gonna do this for a while. Yeah. But having that that scientifically backed research that shows how the brain functions creatively creativity creativity creatively creatively that's the <laughs> word good god uh, if i hadn't learned about the brain's schedule and when it works creatively you know i don't know learning that gave me some inspiration and it gave yeah. me a strategy on how to draw that right. i really right. enjoyed that has been persistent for the last few years but it also, you know, the rest of my work focuses, the majority, the overwhelming majority of my work focuses on resilience. And so that work has given me the confidence of like, when I do get burnt out again, when art does feel like a drag again, I know I have all this experience and research teaching me about resilience and how I can change things up and keep art as this central focus of my life. Right. So I don't know, there's all these really nuanced ways that my education influences my art because my education actually has nothing to do with my art. I have I never once intended on taking things I learned in school and applying it to art. Art was just something I did because the kids at the daycare enjoyed it and I wanted to <laughs> give them a sketch of a stick figure. Like that's it. And now it's just something that I do every single day because I enjoy it. But I'm finding all these ways to apply research and theory into what I'm doing to just, I don't know, give me new ways to do it and give me ways to keep enjoying it, which is, I don't know, I feel very fortunate for it. Because I can't imagine like, I try to think of like an economics student trying to use things like economic theory on how they can draw more creatively. And it's just, <laughs> I don't know how yeah. that would happen. So it's one of the nice, I don't know, it's been one of the nice surprises of my life. Yeah. Yeah, no, and I think there's really something to be said for the the artist scientist or the scientist artist. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, look at like Da Vinci, you know, one of the reasons that Da Vinci is one of the greatest artists who ever lived, which... It's kind of a weird, I, I don't know, I don't like to hierarchize yeah. artists yeah. because artists are kind of, they you know, they're doing, they are, it's, yeah. it's not a, a horse race, you know, yeah. it's kind of unique with yeah. what everyone's doing. But that said, in terms of technicalities and stuff like that and, and craft, Da Vinci is one of the best who ever lived. I mean, the guy was an absolute genius yeah. and one of the reasons for that is because he was also a scientist. I mean, yeah. he was... Well, I feel like I'd have to read more to confirm this, but in my reading, he's the first one to really map out the human body yeah. and map out anatomy and dig up dead bodies yeah. and, and cut them up and look at what's going on mm -hmm. here. Let me look at the body as a piece of machinery mm -hmm. in such a way that will then allow me to be more creative. So you see this um, this intersection of, of science and art you know, that I think persists today. I mean, even if you look at artists who are doing incredible things now with um with digital drawing mm -hmm. and and exploring new technologies mm -hmm. in a creative way i mean i think that that juxtaposition of of science technology art there's so much to be said for that and that's yeah. kind of what you're doing right with yeah. your research interests and your creative interest i mean inevitably there's going to be overlap yeah. there it'd be weird if there wasn't yeah you know? it would yeah it would be really weird if there wasn't right yeah that's cool yeah da vinci the other person i think of is galileo because he and i don't know who who's older but i know galileo has a, a really 
noticeable intersection of art and science as well. He's more known for his scientific stuff, but he was an artist as well. Oh, it's just, I don't know. It's hard to spend so much of your life on just one thing. Where, yeah, like, like to yeah. just To just be a scientist, like, that's, it's very hard to do. To just be an artist is very hard to do. So that, and, and like, for me, it, it's, it's really about finding the balance. I can never just commit my life to one thing. Yeah. Before I got into grad school and got into academia and teaching, I was a basketball coach and I was full on. Like I started off coaching high school and the last time I coached, I was a college coach, but I also worked one-on-one with professional players on skill development. And I was also a traveling basketball camp coach. So the summer of 2016, I did 12 basketball camps in 11 weeks in 11 different cities like it was just nonstop across eight states like i was nonstop and when it all ended it was just like i'm never coaching again like i fucking (laughs) like i cannot do this anymore like this is just too much and so i stopped i stopped coaching and it was like all right i'm gonna go to grad school and i'm gonna be an artist and so i tried to draw every day for like 10 hours a day and within a month i was done like i can't do this anymore yeah and so for me, it's always been about having that nice balance between the two. And it's not, it's, you know, in an ideal world, it would be a balance every day where, you know, six hours a day I'm doing schoolwork, three hours a day I'm doing art, and then the rest of my day is for myself to just do whatever. And it doesn't work that way, right? Like my life is on the ebb and flow of the semester. So, you know, the last month of every semester is always the busiest period of my life. And then, the winter break and summer breaks is just, I'm running amok with free time all over the place. And it's just, but the big picture of every single year is like, you know, 60% of my time is spent doing schoolwork, research, papers, presentations. But the other 40% of my time for an entire year is spent doing creative stuff. Yeah. And finding that balance has been key because when I was a basketball coach for 10 years, 100% of my time was spent as a basketball coach. I worked 80 hours a week for 10 oh, years man. as yeah. a basketball coach, just nonstop. And I loved it, but when it started to get difficult, when it started to get challenging and I didn't have that other thing, that creative outlet, well, I don't want to say that because you can be extremely creative in basketball as a player and as a coach. But I didn't understand how to unlock it because I really wasn't drawing that much. That last year that I was coaching was really the first year that I was like, I'm... I'm actually going to draw every single day. Like I'm actually going to do this before it was like, I'm going to try to draw every day. And if I don't, it's fine. But when I was coaching, it was like, no, I'm, I'm going to do this. And then when I finally hit that burnout point of just like, Oh, I, I actually am miserable. And if I do this for another year, I'm going to hit the depths of my depression. And I, I don't want to do that. So it was like, all right, well maybe it's all about the art. Cause I, I the only time where I was happy was the one hour a day I was drawing. So then I tried to switch it and, and do 90% of my time drawing. And it was just like, no, this doesn't work either. Yeah. So then I got into grad school and got into teaching. And it was like, okay, the balance is where it's at. It's about doing what I have to do in the moment, but making sure I have that appropriate balance of doing what I have to do and doing what I want to do. Sometimes it's less of one. Sometimes it's more of the other. doesn't matter. It's about working towards that balance. And that's been my lifesaver it's been what has helped me flourish in life and it's what helps me keep my demeanor pleasant 
God, my last like two months coaching, I was fucking miserable. Everybody I was so angry with all the time. My anger, my, I would just flip. I would just be, I'd be happy one minute and I'd be so mad the next. I'd be screaming at people. My face would be red. My blood pressure was always through the roof. And now it's just like, no, I'm pretty pleasant all the time because I love what I do. <laughs> yeah. But I also have these moments where I can get away from the things that I love what I do. Um, you know, I love teaching, but I also love not teaching. It's pretty, it's pretty nice to not have to, <laughs> to grade and it's pretty yeah, nice to, for real, yeah. so I don't know. It's again that I feel very fortunate to have art just kind of, I don't know. I feel like art just drop kicked my front, the front door of my life it was like, I'm coming in and it That's just, awesome. it just barged in and it was like, all right. And it's been pleasant ever since. Um, and I just keep, even though I don't intend on having it being a, a key piece of my research, it keeps finding itself as a key piece of my research. Yeah. And it's, I don't know, it's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I feel like, I mean, what you're describing about balance is so key. I definitely resonate with that. And I've gone through periods where I, I, I want to draw every day for endless hours, you yeah. know, in my ideal life in my head. I'm drawing yeah. constantly forever and I'm, and I'm, incredible at it and, and, I, and I know everything you know um however when I do try to do that when I try to like make that fantasy a reality the result typically isn't much better art the result yeah. is some anxiety you know yeah. guilt about not working at the capacity I feel like I should be working mm -hmm. at you know it's this like guilt for not being hyper 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 productive mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. so it's actually that that obsession with productivity actually isn't conducive to happiness and yeah and i don't think at this point i don't think the purpose is to make incredible art i think the purpose is to be happy yeah you know and if the if the art is fueling your happiness great yeah if not then you need to reassess yeah. you know um the one thing, the one thing that yeah. i do with everything that i draw and it's always the last thing that i do when i'm done drawing it I just find one thing about that drawing that I like. Awesome. Yeah. I don't care about, cause it with every single drawing that I've ever done in my, there's, there's been one drawing I've done where it's just like, this is 100% perfect. Awesome. I wouldn't change it. There's only been one, every other drawing. Which one? <laughs> I love it so much. And just for the listener, we're going to, we're going to post images of these things on, uh, on the Instagram. So check it out. It's a, it's a frog getting rained on <laughs> sitting in a bed of mushrooms the rain cloud has an eyeball in it it's just it's so perfect um, but yeah everything else there's just all I just and so to, to keep myself enjoying it I just that's <laughs> so cool I just always find at least one thing that I like and, yeah and that has that that keeps me going that's so cool that's funny because you know I've seen many 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 of your drawings and this one's not my favorite. I mean, yeah. you have a lot that I love, and I, I, this one's awesome, but it's not my favorite. So yeah. why do you say uh, this one's perfect? What what makes it perfect like, for just, you? Just when I look at it, there's nothing that I would change. Like, yeah. it, it's all the small details. There isn't a point where I feel like, oh, well, that outline is a little too bold right there. Gotcha. Or, yeah. like, I don't like the angle of the frog, or I don't like the light. Just there isn't a single thing that it's just like, yeah, I probably could have done that better. Yeah. So it's, it's yeah. like the concept of it. I like, it makes me laugh. I think it's cool. It's nothing out of this world. It's, but 
there's just all the small details I have no regrets about. There's no thing that I'm just like, man, I could have done that better. Right. So it's that, and that's the other reason why I like it because it's not like some big masterpiece. The next closest was probably that Medusa. That's probably one of the. That's better. I was looking at that. That's unreal. It's, it's, thank that's you. so. It's cool. probably one of the better things that I've done. Um, yeah. But even when I look at it, there's still a couple of parts on there where it's just like, yeah, if I redo it, I'll make sure not to do that again. Yeah. Whereas with that stupid little frog, it's just like, oh, I love it. It's just so good. Hey, man, this frog is great. I mean, like the frog is just like he's just this round, cool little dude. <laughs> it's like there, there is like really good like line variation and, and yeah. variation of line quality and all of that. I think part of it, too, is like I was just, you know, coming from basketball. We always that idea of being on fire where no matter how no matter what shot you shoot, it goes in. You can't do anything wrong. And yeah. Yeah. There's this aspect of that that it, that you you don't really control it. You you can't you can't predict when you're going to be on fire. You can't predict how long it's going to last. But every basketball player at some point in a game, there's just this shortened period where everything they do is perfect. And that drawing right there, I was on fire for the whole thing. Everything came out exactly how it should have. Mm-hmm. And that's the other thing too. When I talk about a drawing that's perfect. That means that what is on paper, it looks exactly what I pictured in my mind Yeah. before I started drawing. Oh, interesting, huh? Because a lot of times, the majority of the things that I draw, they don't look exactly how I pictured them. And when, you know, depending on how far they stray from that original idea in my mind, that's how I determine what is a good drawing or not. It's oh, interesting. All yeah. determined, it's all based on what I pictured before I started drawing. Mm-hmm. So sometimes, you know, some drawings, it's just like, I don't need, I don't think they're good or bad. Cause I didn't really have an idea before I started drawing. I just wanted to draw. So I sat down and was like, what should I draw a turtle? Okay. And then I start drawing a turtle. I was like, Oh, I'm going to put a castle on its back and it just grows as I'm drawing. But the ones where I'm like, okay, I know for a fact, I want to draw a hand with lightning bolts coming out of its fingers. When those look how I imagine them, those are good drawings. And when they don't quite look right for whatever reason, those are bad drawings. And that's how I assess it. But that ability to take what's in my mind and put it on paper, I don't know. I've gotten better at it, but it seems like that's like the one thing. It's like the, I don't know, chasing the dragon, like heroin addicts, always (laughs) trying to get that first high. It's like the first time that I drew something that looked exactly like my mind. It's like I'm always chasing that feeling of just like, it makes you, Mm. it's this sense of mastery of just like, yeah, I am so connected to my own self that I can take this abstract image that's floating inside of my brain and turn it into a physical thing in front of me. I can control. That's the other thing. It's like my hands are kind of shaky and I can't always draw straight lines. I'll try Mm -hmm. to do a straight line and it looks more like a wave and I like, that's why some of my outlines are bolder than certain ones because I was right. just trying to do a straight line and it went out here, so I had to thicken it to make it straight. But the ones where my body just worked perfectly the whole time, 40 minutes of just my, it's doing exactly what I want it to do and I'm perfectly taking what's in here. You know, it's like trying to describe emotions. Sometimes we can't find the words for the emotion that we're feeling. Yeah. And sometimes I can't find the technical drawing skills to depict what I'm thinking. But sometimes I can. And with that stupid yes. little frog, I was able to do it and I'm going to love it forever. Oh, that's so awesome. I think the other reason why I love that frog is because after I posted it, this girl in New Zealand was like, 
can I get this tattooed? And I was like, fuck no yes. way. She got it tattooed. Oh yeah. She got it tattooed yeah. huge as shit on the back of her leg. That's awesome. Yeah. And now she wants me to like basically design the rest of her leg sleeve around that theme of like having the cosmos up high and then grounded where it's like connected to the earth down low. Oh wow. So now we're working together to like design her, her whole leg based off like expanding essentially the universe that that frog yeah. lives in. So that's, that's pretty cool. And that's, so that's probably been my, the favorite thing that came out of art that was completely unexpected was the human connection. Oh man. I mean, we're yeah. sitting here today uh, because of my art. Like yes. you came into my yes. apartment and we're like, whoa. And then yep. we became friends after that. Exactly. Yeah. And there's so many people in my life where it's just like this friendship, relationship, connection would not have happened without art, whether it's my art or your art. Either way, uh-huh. it has brought human beings together and I'll never get tired of that. Yeah. So that's one of those things that's like, right? So like I study resilience, I study how it's developed and one of the processes that develops it is maintaining communication networks, right? The people in our network that we rely on. And I know that when I get burnt out on art, I'll have the networks, the human beings that will give me my resilience to keep doing it. I'll have these human beings that I can remember, you know, art brought us together or I can use art to, I can talk to, somebody another artist that i met through instagram through our own art and ask them how they fight through burnout and draw yeah. this block and like i don't know so it's this other way that positive psychology connects to what i do through this beautiful aspect of art that it brings humans together so it's i don't know i'll never get tired of that aspect of it yeah that's beautiful Be- beautifully said and um i mean it makes me think we we're talking about kind of like industrial era post-industrial era thinking and and part of that is sort of um i guess mistaking the 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 purpose of of art right which is it's communication it's it's about bringing people together hence hence this podcast hence literally everything that we make art is a way of kind of balancing perspectives sort of balancing my inner reality with other people's inner reality and, and vice versa you know and if you forget that and you're left only with sort of the um productive output i'm writing then then it's like then you're just a machine it's like okay maybe you made something incredible but but what's the purpose you're you're a nowhere man you're like the beatles song you're literally just sitting there in the abyss just making things for the sake of productivity if it's not for the sake of human connection then it's purposeless i think art is inherently humanistic Mm -hmm. you know you you cannot make art Mm -hmm. if you're not a humanist mm-hmm. if, if you're an artist you're a humanist mm-hmm. i think that's so that's that and that's, that's when it, i you know. that's when i got burnt out on art is when i was doing a lot of it for commissions i remember the first yeah time, yeah i could see that the first time i got a commission was so exciting and it was like oh my god i just got paid for art oh my yeah, god which is an amazing feeling actually <sighs> yeah <laughs> first one was like 10 bucks didn't matter it was like, this yeah, is amazing. yeah yeah um, but then I started getting more and more and it was like, yeah, like this is, this is what it is. Like, I, like I want to be a full-time artist and like it's happening. And so then I had this long list of like 40 different commissions and was just making uh, art oh, wow. for the sake of being productive and the magic died instantly. Oh, like man. it was the, the list of commissions was a bullet to the, to my art's head. Like it just, yeah. and it was like, Oh, I hate this. So, and I learned in that moment, like, okay. I can't like the majority of my art has to be for the sake of creating. Yeah. And if people want to buy stuff that I've done, amazing. I still do a few commissions here and there. Um, but I try to do only like 
one commission a week at most. Yeah. Uh, because it takes away that human aspect of it. Kind of, not really. But when I do too many commissions, that's when the human element goes away. And to me, that's when, like I said, the magic of art goes away. And that's how I just keep it, you know, because like I said, I started drawing <laughs> to give a drawing to a kid because they would light up with a big old smile because they just yeah. got a jellyfish drawing from the big guy at the front desk. And it's like, <laughs> that was amazing. So yeah. it's like, I, I, and that's why, you know, I gave you four stickers when you came in. I'm going to sell some of those stickers, but the majority of them are so that I can give away because yeah. gifting art to people is like this wonderful experience. And you it see is, people yeah. smile and then you have a connection with them. And it's like, cool. I'm connected with another human being. Like, mm -hmm. this is what, that's what I really thrive on is those connections with human beings. And so, again, it's just one of those nice little elements of art that was unexpected that keeps me coming back to it. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, and actually, I keep thinking back to yeah when we were neighbors because I remember one day you were working on um up on up on your balcony on this um it was like a shower curtain where you do you remember that yeah. where you're drawing all these um all these uh, different buildings yeah. like on the shower curtain as yeah. a commission piece yeah and like I said earlier I kind of first gotten back into drawing then and I was chatting with you and you're like yes yeah, this commission piece. And to me, I was like, oh shit, man. Whoa, dude's getting paid to do art. Like there's definitely some envy there. And I was like, I want to do that. Yeah. And like, you know, so again, inspiration. Thank you. Yeah. And, but then you also said, you were just like, man, I'm so fucking sick of this piece. Like I just want to be done with this one, you know? And it's funny because like, again, at the time I saw that and I was kind of like, I want that, sure. you know? And now I've done, you know, enough commissions that I know that experience of like, it's really, really, really exciting to have, someone respect your stuff that much that yeah. they want you to make something for them yeah. um, and even pay you for it. But then there also is that element of just like, ah, I don't care about this. I'm yep. not, I'm not into it. Yep. I, I just don't, you know, I'm not interested. Mm -hmm. So it's like a blessing and a curse. So yep. in that moment, speaking about creating your own reality in that moment where I saw you doing that and I was like, I want to do that. Well, it's like, cool. I did yeah. including all parts, the, yeah. the, the excitement. And then also the like, mundanity and, yeah. and being bored of it yeah aspect too you know yeah. the drag of it yeah it's so funny how these things work that's, that's you, you get what you want right yeah that's yeah. i'm yeah that's cool that that you remember that moment because i i do remember drawing on that shower curtain and i remember <laughs> so i i knew the person i'd already I'd, I'd had a relationship with that guy that that had um that commissioned it he was he was my aunt's boyfriend at the time and i'd known him for a few years and so, you know, we were pretty friendly and that kind of, you know, being friendly with people, it makes me a little bit slower to create the art because it's like, oh, we're friends. Like, I don't have to do this right away. Oh, okay. And so with him, I was kind of dragging my feet a little bit. And so then he sent me half of the money that I was, that I was going to charge him. He's like, let's get this moving. Like, I'm, 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 I'm <laughs> oh, interesting. to kind of get me to hurry up and finish. And that's when it was like, I was doing it and doing it. And that's when it was just like, man fuck this like I don't want to do this anymore but it was as soon as like money was on the line when it was like just a creative project like this I never felt burnt out on this even though this is pretty similar to what I was doing this is like yeah. it, just a big collection of buildings yeah um, this is different though because like I do this for my own enjoyment whereas with that it was just like as soon as I hit that halfway mark and it was just like oh my god I still have like six more hours on this like <laughs> I don't care about the $200. Like, please just, can we cancel this? And it's like, no, dude, like 
you said they said that same thing like this um i remember it was maybe like my second year of drawing when i met somebody that did commissions and it was like that little bit of envy of like oh fuck, yeah like i want that like uh-huh. And then I got my taste of it and was like, mm, I don't know how much I want this anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So now, like, there's a few people on Instagram that I follow that they're not tattooers, but they're full-time artists. They do illustrations like what I do, and they do it full-time. And I've messaged them just like, hey, I just want you to know I have infinite respect for you. The fact that you are able to do this full-time to me is mind-boggling. And, like, I just have so much respect for you because as soon as I was doing art for money – multiple hours a day I was just I was I couldn't do it for whatever reason I just couldn't do it so it's I don't know it's it's a different experience when you're doing it for commissions and you're doing it for your livelihood um, what kind of response did you get from those artists really nice they, they, it, like and a couple like a couple were just like yeah cool thanks like I really appreciate that that means a lot thank you uh, but a few of them I was able to have like shorter conversations with and it was just like there, like a few of them were like, yeah, no, like it's, it's hard. And I like almost every day I regret it. And then almost every day I'm proud of it and glad that I do it. And I, I know I'll keep doing it, but like, it is a real challenge. Um, cause there are times where I am literally only drawing for the money that's going to come out of it. Yeah. And it's just like, the other thing too is, you know, being a full-time artist is you don't think of how physically challenging it is mm. because you're just like, yeah, you're just sitting around drawing all day. But it's like, after like two hours, my hand is in genuine pain. Yeah. And then, you know, you're... I get antsy, man. I get yeah. really antsy sometimes. Yeah. And then like, you, if you're sitting, you start to hunch and hunch yep. and hunch and then your back hurts and yeah. your eyes uh-huh. hurt and then your head hurts and then like, you're flooding your body with caffeine. You're dehydrated. Yeah. Yeah. You haven't uh-huh. eaten much. And if you did, it was just a couple of snacks here and there. Right, and so like... Right. And it's, it's an interesting contrast for me because, like I said, I spent the first decade of my adult life as a basketball coach. And, like, that's physically taxing. It's yeah. very physically – especially doing it 80 hours a week. You know, I'm, I'm showing up to the gym at 1 in the afternoon working with three players for three hours. And then I coach a team for two hours and then another team for two hours. And then we stay late with two other players to do one-on-one stuff. I come home, I'm, I'm drained. Every single one of my joints hurts. And so this idea of, you know, I did that full time. Why can't I just sit around and draw full time? And it's like, well, they're different processes. And so it's different body pains and those different body pains affect you differently where like you're standing and coaching all day. So your joints hurt. You can't wait to sit down. It's a weird feeling to be sitting all day and thinking I can't wait to stand up. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. I don't know. It's just a, it, it's this whole other side that I never anticipated when I started drawing because it was always just for fun. And then when I tried to add the business aspect of it, I learned a lot of things that you just didn't consider at all. Yeah. And, but learning those things, you know, not to be cliche, I learned a lot of lessons and I learned a lot of stuff about myself. Definitely. And I, it took me a while. I don't know. It was kind of like a a weird blow to my ego of just like feeling bummed out that I I can't be a full-time artist. Like I don't have it in me to do this all day. I just don't like, yeah. I don't, I don't like drawing for more than three hours straight. I really don't. And mm-hmm. so a lot of people ask me like, why don't you tattoo? And it's just like, I don't want to, like, I don't want to do that all day. I, I, I also don't want to learn the new, uh, it's, it's not the same process. Drawing a pen on paper is not at all the same as using a giant vibrating machine. Yeah. It seems grueling. Yeah. Yeah. No, it is. Yeah. yeah. And so it's just like, I can't do it all day. And so it was kind of like, 
sad at first of just like, oh man, like I don't have it in me to be a professional artist. And it's just like, who cares, dude? You started <laughs> right. this because it who was cares? fun. Just yeah. keep having fun. <laughs> yeah. And the other thing too is like, I have a, I have a job. Like I'm a teacher and I'm a, I'm a graduate student. Like that pays my bills. So it's like, why am I sad that I'm not earning full-time commissions as exactly. an artist? Exactly. Not, not everything has to be a hustle. Yeah. Right? So, oh my God. That's Which why is get... kind of tough because it's like, it's mixed though because it's like, I, I, I also like turning things into a hustle. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, okay, so this, this drawing that I'm working on now, it's a commission from a friend. Uh, her name's Gabrielle. She's actually on the pod. Nice. Um, listeners, check it out if you haven't heard that one yet. Um, but th- this commission piece is actually really, really pushing my skill because nice. just like the things that she wanted in it and the amount of detail is just stuff that I wouldn't have thought to do myself you know so it's actually really really pushing me in a good way and i and i like that and i think it's cool that it's coming from a from a space of commission um so i think there is something to you know that hustle that does push you and and get you doing things at a um and at an accelerated rate that i think is there's really something to that but again it's balanced right i mean everything's balanced because you if you're not having fun doing it, then yep. and it's why about, are you doing it, right? It's about your balance as right. a specific human being. What works for you? That's why I'm like, the people that are enjoying their life drawing 12 hours a day, it's like, man, I have so yeah. much respect for you. For my balance, it's two to three hours. It's like, you got to exercise, man. Yeah, because yeah, like, same here, probably about like two to three hours a day. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to increase it and sometimes I could get more, other times I can't depending on work and teaching Mm -hmm. and if I exercise that day because if I exercise if I go for a run and then maybe meditate for a little bit my drawing session is going to be so much better yeah even though it's going to be shorter than if I you know sit there for four or five hours not having exercised Mm -hmm. I sit there and I start to feel like like hungry but it's a weird kind of hungry because i haven't moved in a long time yeah um, I, I feel like my skin feels greasy if i sit there yeah, for too long same. which i have no yeah, idea it's so about. weird it's, really... <laughs> it's so weird and then i feel like my my greasy skin is getting on the paper and Dude. Like changing the way the pencil but like it's so yeah, weird it's so weird yeah what That's is pretty that? funny is, yeah. is that what, what's that like sitting grease what is that? i have no idea is that Dude. everyone is that just i don't you? know it might just be me and you man because i've never had a conversation with somebody like hey tell me about your sitting grease situation (laughs) (laughs) dude seriously because i'll i'll be drawing and i'm just like yeah like i'm like is that just is is it just me i don't know and and that's a weird thing out here because it's such a dry climate like yeah so i remember spending a month in costa rica where it's just completely humid and you know you're always just covered in sweat and grease yes yeah and so, like, it would make sense there, but, like, you come out here to the desert, it's like, you should just be dry as a cracker the entire time. I have, I have moved a total of, like, I'm like a sloth. I've moved three inches in six hours. Why am I moist? What the fuck is this? My whole body is just, like... It's so funny. Uh, yeah, yeah. so funny. That's it's exciting to know that you deal with that as well. Yeah, it's hilarious. good. Yeah. I'm going to start, I'm going to start, ask, I really am going to start asking. I got to find the right way to ask other yeah. about their sitting reasons. That, that's going to be like, a, that's going to be an essential question on the podcast. Like anytime I interview like a, like a visual artist, just like, Hey, do you get greasy? L- listeners email in DM on the Instagram. Just let us know if you're, if you're a visual artist, do you get greasy? Sitting, sitting grease. <laughs> City Grease or Daily Grease would be a pretty good name for a podcast. Dude, oh shit, man. Yeah, yeah maybe I'll change it. Sitting Grease. Sitting Grease, that's hilarious. 
Oh man, that's funny as shit. Yeah. All right, so here, here's another question that I've been thinking about. So you you definitely have very specific themes. Sure. And even genres in your yeah. um in your drawings. So I feel like I've seen like fifty Medusas from you. Yeah, um, I've done a ton. Yeah, I've seen a lot of um. There's a Medusa in here. Yeah, yeah. In the sketchbook, you got one on your wall. You actually yep. got two on your wall. So there's a third one out in the other room too. Yeah. No, so there's four out in the five. Oh wow. Yeah, I have five Medusas in this apartment. All right, so world. actually, let's talk about that before we move on to, to other themes, because you definitely have other themes. Why? Yeah, you know. have a Medusa tattoo. Yeah. Why? <sighs> Why do I? Um, I mean, Medusa's fascinating. I'm, re I'm reading Dante's Inferno right now, and actually just a couple of hours ago before we met up, I was reading a Medusa yeah. scene. But um, Shit, so last year, when I was in between my master's and my PhD, I read a book about Medusa. Um, but I, I mean, I, I was drawing there and got the tattoo well before I read that book. Um, for me, it's just like, she's a really fascinating character. I remember one of the first movies or one of the first movies that I remember watching, um, was like a, it's almost like a claymation. It was a live action movie from like the sixties, but to do the special effects of Medusa, they used claymation essentially. Huh. Do you remember the film? Or? I don't remember the title. I don't at all, but it was the story of Perseus and how he killed her and all that kind of stuff. But anyways, yeah. I was just like really fascinated by her story and then kind of what led to me getting the tattoo was wanting to stay connected to people. So the Medusa just got a raw deal, man. Like she got raped by Poseidon and I forget who Poseidon's wife was, but Poseidon's wife was mad at her because she got yeah. raped by Poseidon. So she had Medusa turned into the monster that she, that we know her as, you know, Prior to that, she was just a normal girl that was considered to be more beautiful than Poseidon's wife, which is why Poseidon raped her. Yeah. So then Poseidon's wife turned her into the monster that we know. And it's just like, to me, that's like such a an egregious misunderstanding of who Medusa was as a human being. Wow. Yeah. And so I got the tattoo to remind myself of like, understand human beings for who they are, for who they tell you who they are. Don't make these assumptions about who they are based off your own notions. Wow. That's not what it means to understand people. Yeah. You don't get to just define who they are. They define who they are and you have to accept that for what they tell you. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of why I got the tattoo. But at the time I was just like so fascinated with her. So I was reading more about her and, and what she is meant culturally. To, there's oh, wow. so many um, examples of a Medusa-like creature or mythical beast in uh, a lot of cultures, not just ancient Greek, like it extends into so many parts of the world. This mm -hmm. idea of the um, terrifyingly ugly monster that freezes people in their tracks that yeah. got to that point by being misunderstood and, and treated unfairly and treated poorly. And um, it's like this really his like common historical trope about just, you know, understanding people and, and, and accepting them for who they are. Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of what led to that. But also, you know, just from the drawing perspective, she's just really fun to draw. Oh, sure. Um, like drawing snakes is, it's hard because they have a weird shaped head and placement of the eyes. So it's technically challenging, but it's also one of those things that you can get lost in the details. Definitely. Yeah. But you can also keep it really simple. Like you don't have to put every single scale of the snake in the drawing. But if you want to, it's a really calming process to just do the same scale over and over right. and over. 
Um, and then drawing faces. There's a lot of things that you can do when you draw faces and a lot of details you can focus on or a lot of things that you can leave out. So just drawing Medusa. So I did these ones. So this is the first one. And then I did another one. It, it, I was practicing to get to that. And so I wanted to do that just because it was technically challenging. Yeah. I wanted to get better at halftones. And it was like, what would be the hardest thing to do? Oh, uh, wow. It's yeah. like a fucking Medusa because I got to do the snakes and I got to do the face. And so, you know, the drawing of Medusa is like a really, it's something that I return to, you know, every couple of months to like, just check my skills, honestly, like, have I gotten better at doing faces and, and have I gotten better at doing snakes? And it's, oh, cool. it's really fun. But that, that aspect of just like the human side of it and, and her important, one thing that's, she is a story of resilience too, going back to my, my research and my studies. So one thing that's like, kind of interesting about the story is when you think about the story of Medusa technically she's not the hero the hero story in the Medusa story is Perseus because he's the one that killed the beast that was freezing all the men he went and cut off her head and then he went and killed the other giant beast with her head but when you think about popular culture now she's infinitely more famous than he is yeah yeah she, yeah. even though she was beheaded, she's the one that we still talk about. She's the one that is world renowned. She's the one that you find elements in every single culture. Yeah. She is the resilient one. Even in death, she is the one that we talk about, that we revere, that we build yeah. statues to. So she's this huge beacon of resilience, the ultimate resilience. She still exists after having her head cut off. How can you be more resilient than that? So yeah. she's just infinitely fascinating to me and there's all these unique connections man one of my favorite stories i had this i had this tattoo for maybe like four months when i was in i had gotten to costa rica and i was on this bus that was just winding through these tiny mountain jungle roads and it almost like that tv show of like world's deadliest roads where it's this tiny road going along the edge of a mountain the driver moves to the right six inches the whole bus is gonna fall <laughs> to a death and so we're winding and like I'm sitting directly behind the driver and we've been in this van for a long time and so I try to stretch my legs and I, for whatever reason, put my leg out on the center console right in between the driver and the passenger and the driver looks down and right away, he doesn't speak any English and I think he's going to like move my leg because I shouldn't have it there for whatever reason and he double takes and he just goes, oh, a la Medusa. <laughs> And then he just starts nodding. And I was yeah. like, oh my fucking God. So every time I ran into him like four more times over the next few weeks that I was in Costa Rica, every time he would just point at me, he would give me the fist and then he would go, Medusa. <laughs> oh, and man. I felt like I had this bond with him. Cause then one day after like a long drive, we're sitting next to each other having our lunch while everybody else is chatting and we're just sitting there in silence enjoying our lunch. And it's like, through Medusa, I was able to connect with another human being in which That's I don't amazing. share a language, I don't share a culture, I share no background, but we connected only yeah. because I had a Medusa tattoo, he recognized Medusa, and it was on after that. So it was like, I don't know. So there's all these weird little stories about Medusa and how she has just infiltrated my psyche almost, yeah. which I think is pretty cool. That's amazing. Yeah, so that's kind of where my... I don't want to say obsession because I don't feel obsessed, but I'm just very fascinated with her and my fascination has not ceased one bit. Yeah, no, and I think, well, you're right about uh, Medusa being, you know, way more famous than Perseus. And I feel like part of the reason is that, well, she's 
way more identifiable. I think it's much easier to identify with Medusa for all the reasons that you're citing rather than Perseus, you know? Yeah. Which is weird because also in our in our culture, I think everyone perhaps wants to be the Perseus figure, this like hero who chops down the monster. Mm-hmm. But in reality, we're all kind of the Medusa. We're all yeah. have our troubles and, yeah. and have our experience of resilience and mm-hmm. stories of resilience. So she's way more empathetic, way more identifiable. Mm-hmm. Um, also, one thing that seems kind of peculiar about the Medusa story is that you turn into stone when you look at her. It's not when she looks at you, you know? She, mm-hmm. So she's just kind of existing, doing her mm-hmm. thing. So so I even wonder if it's the way that an individual looks at the Medusa figure that turns them into stone. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'd have to look more into the mythology of it, but I don't Like, I wonder if you look at Medusa with eyes of judgment. Like, I think that's what turns someone into into stone is when you look at Medusa with eyes of judgment because in judging someone, you're frozen. You're yeah. putting them in a box. You can't see them as, yeah. as, the, as the complex, fluid figure that they actually are and your own complexity and fluidity. Yeah. However, I wonder if you approach Medusa with eyes of compassion, with eyes of empathy, with eyes of, eyes of love, you know, I mean would you would it would you still turn into stone yeah you know and that's that's a very good point because that's you know that idea of how medusa herself doesn't exist in other cultures what exists is that idea of a beast that is so ugly it is terrifying to the point that you are frozen yeah that's the that's what exists in other cultures um and so that idea of just like you know maybe don't (laughs) Maybe don't look at her as, as from a perspective of how ugly she is. And yeah, just, kind of beauties in the eye of the beholder yeah, sort of thing. And it's yeah. just like, you know, let that being exist for what it is. Don't right. don't worry about judging it. That's a very that's a very astute uh, point and, and clear insight, which is I don't know, that that really jumped out at me because that, that book that I read about Medusa, it was about tracing every historical precedent of her and it was digging into like the first telling of the Medusa story and then looking at all these other cultures. And then the last chapter was about how to interpret these things, and that idea of maybe we sh- maybe it's the judgment that's that's freezing us. Yeah, that wasn't in there. It was all about two aspects of just like Medusa as the scary beast and Medusa as the feminist hero, where it's just mm-hmm. like Athena. I think it was Athena. I could be wrong, but it was Athena that turned her into the beast, and from the feminist perspective. Athena did her a favor because now she's mm. now Medusa is protected from all these men. Oh wow! She won't be raped again because yeah. they won't want to because she, she's this beast and she's protected. But there's arguments against that because Athena is actually the one that helped Perseus kill her. Athena gave him the sandals that allowed him to get to where she was quicker. Athena gave him the mirror shield that allowed him to fucking not look directly at her and find her. And then when he went to chop her head off, Athena guided the blade right directly to her neck. So it's yeah. like, okay, either regardless what your interpretation is, the whole moral of it is that human beings are infinitely more complicated than that initial look. Mm-hmm. And it's all about you know being receptive, being open, and being flexible and adaptable to the reality of the situation. Yeah. Regardless of what your notions are coming in, it's more complicated than that. It's more nuanced. And if you're open and accepting of that, you'll probably have a better experience than if you're firm in your original beliefs of how things are going to be and how things are going to go. 
And that's why people get frozen. That idea of being turned to stone. You think this person's going to be beautiful. They turn around. They're a hideous, ugly beast with yeah. gaping jaws and snakes everywhere. And boom, that's just an ugly person. And you are frozen in that perspective. Whereas if you just lighten up, you're just like, oh, okay. Well, it's just a human being. They got fucking screwed over. And fuck, they're still a, a living thing. And maybe I should chill out. And you're probably not going to be frozen, metaphorically or literally. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. No, that's so fascinating because I think, um, one, Greek mythology is just so potent. You know, I think it does an incredible job of, of, of um, mapping out our, our subconscious, essentially, you know? Yeah. Um, which I think is part of what great art from storytelling to visual art does. It re really maps out the, the subconscious state. Yeah. Um, not always, but that's one aspect of it. And also the, the, the mythologies that people are drawn toward um, indicates so much about that person. Sure. You know, because as you're describing the Medusa story, like there's reasons that you're really drawn to that story. Yeah. Like you're saying resilience, yeah. um, empathy, all these different things, right? And I, I got really, really, really fascinated um, by the narcissist myth, you sure. know, which as I'm exploring that and looking at different interpretations of it, and, and I did um, at least one drawing overtly, I think other drawings of mine, it, it comes out more, um, more covertly. But um, as I was really fascinated by that myth, I started to question why the narcissist myth, you know, sure. which then made me say, am I a narcissist? Yeah. You know, I don't think I am. I think, <laughs> I think that's a, um, I don't know. That's kind of a, a superficial reading of that story, yeah. you know, to just be like, he's, he loves himself and that's it. That's mm -hmm. the end. There's, there's much more going on in that story. But anyway, the point being, you know, the myth, the myths that we're drawn to indicate so much about mm. the person, you know, mm. who's drawn to that myth. Yeah. So it's all really fascinating. See, like, I have, I have a weird contradiction that I, that I deal with on a daily basis with my own tattoos. So I have the Medusa tattoo, but I also have Poseidon's trident tattooed right here on my thumb. Uh-huh. And I got this, like, two years before I even knew the story of Medusa. Yeah. When I got this, this was when I was still coaching basketball and there was one player that I trained. I trained her. We worked one-on-one -on -one, um, for three years. I saw her and she's like really dedicated to basketball. So we worked six days a week for three years. So we became really, really close. She's a dear friend of mine now. Um, and I wanted to commemorate that time because I like I learned a lot just about coaching and but also about being a mentor and being a human being from that coaching relationship, and I wanted to commemorate that because it me meant the world to me. And, and that particular player, she loves Greek mythology, so I asked her one day like, "Who's your favorite Greek mythology character?" And without thinking, she's Poseidon, and I didn't ask why. <laughs> she just said Poseidon, so I was like, "Cool, done." Yeah. So I went and got Poseidon's trident tattooed on my thumb to commemorate that. And then a couple years later, I got Medusa because of her story with like her story after being raped by Poseidon. And then like two weeks later, I learned that she was raped by Poseidon. So oh, wow. not only do I have Poseidon's fucking trident tattooed on my thumb, I have his rape victim tattooed on my, or yeah. I have Medusa tattooed on my leg and I have her rapist trident tattooed. So it's this weird contradiction that I have existing on my own body that I see all the time. Wow. Yeah. That is just like, I don't know, another aspect of how life is a little more complicated than we want it to be. Where I wanted to get this to commemorate my friend, but now I have Medusa because her her story resonates so much with my life. But I have, it's a symbol of violence and 
horrendous acts, but it's also a symbol of the times too because Poseidon raped her because he had just conquered the sea. And when you conquer things in that age, what you go do is you rape the people. And it's like, well, it's really fucked up, but that's what they did. And it's like, oh my God, the amount of contradictions just existing between my two tattoos. Oh, I lose hours thinking about it all the time. It's pretty funny. (laughs) And I like, I think about it and I'm like, I I do want to get this tattoo removed partially because it's on my thumb and Mm. I, I would like my hand tattoos to be a little less visible as I endeavor deeper into professional contexts. Um, you know, I, this last year I did consulting for Microsoft and it was the most corporate situation I've ever been in in my entire life, but I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the work and it's like, I'd like to do more of this and I don't want my hand tattoos to get in the way of that. So I often Mm. think about having them removed, but just the fact that Poseidon is what did this to her, even though he's not the one that turned her into the monster. He fucking raped her and her punishment was to have her life destroyed like good god how horrible yeah. is that so i don't know it's victim blaming right god damn it joe it's just such it's such a weird contradiction and mm-hmm. it's a good example of how life is far more complicated and nuanced than you could ever expect it to be like for me it was yeah. like i'm getting this tattoo to commemorate my friend but now i have this weird contradiction that exists among my own tattoos and the stories behind them so it's i don't know it's really weird yeah yeah, yeah really yeah. really weird yeah, but I think that space of ambiguity is crucial. I mean, I, I mean, I think it's so important to be able to enter a space of contradiction, of paradox, of yeah. ambiguity, and and find peace within that. Mm-hmm. You know, I think part of sort of um, more Western philosophical tradition and, and logic is this um, this inability to to exist within paradox. If, sure. if, if you read. Um, more Eastern philosophies, Buddhist philosophy, Hindu philosophy, stuff like that. Um, those philosophies and philosophers are much more comfortable with paradox. Yeah. You know, they're, they're yeah. okay going into that space yeah. and, and holding contradicting truths at once. Yeah. You know, which, which is, I think, really important. You know, I think oftentimes our, our kind of inability to hold contradicting, um, contradicting realities creates the kind of cultural polarization political polarization that you see in our country now where we're where we're incapable of of acknowledging the other side as just as legitimate and human as we are you know it's funny because both both sides they they think that to prove that their side is the one that's correct they have to point out the paradoxes and the hypocrite the hypocrites of the other side where it's right. like yeah. Republicans are wrong because you have all these paradoxes in your beliefs therefore you should be a Democrat and it's like well Democrats have all these paradoxes in their beliefs too like what the fuck right. are you talking about yeah. we're all hypocrites everybody has beliefs that don't align with some other belief that they have because this shit is complicated Yeah, and that's one of the I, that's like, like you said that's one of the challenges of our modern societies we want it to not be complicated yeah. We so badly want everything to just fit in this nice little box where everything makes sense. Nothing contradicts something else. And it's just like, no, that's ridiculous. No life is ever going to be that way. Ever. Yeah. That's why sometimes you see a, a lion go kill a gazelle. And then another time you see a lion and a, a pack of lions and a pack of gazelles at the same watering hole. And they're just chilling, drinking yeah. water. Nothing bad happens. Or the lion's starving because it didn't get the gazelle. So it's like... There's, you know, it, it's all kind yeah. of I don't know it all matters you know 
And also that makes me think with Medusa, she's really starting to seem like a symbol of complexity. And that makes me think the snakes in her, in her head, her snake hair, right? Literally snakes serve these independent beings springing from her head, springing yeah. from her brain, yeah. you know? The snakes themselves move independently of Medusa, right? So what are the snakes? I think the snakes can... I'm sure you can say that they're symbolic of, of thoughts, of thoughts oh, themselves, yeah, yeah. of ideas, yeah. of things that are literally coming out of her brain, yeah. you know, and have their own independent existence. There is complexity in that. There's contradiction yeah. in that. There's entanglement in it, yes. you know, yeah. entanglement of the snakes. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, Medusa, I think, is, man, Medusa is reality itself. I think oh, Medusa yeah. is metaphor for reality itself, yeah. where if you can't, sit with the complexity and the entanglement of reality you turn to stone yeah you know yeah. i love that that's excellent i'll probably draw medusa tonight now <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> cool man well that seems like uh that seems like a good spot to uh to stop that was yeah that was I a actually, great conversation yeah that was really good and that that i, I like that concluding thought i don't want to add to that that was really good yeah, yeah. all right Draw Medusa. Everyone draw Medusa tonight. <laughs> <laughs> listening to this podcast, go draw Medusa. Yeah. And then share it yep. with the Instagram, dude. That'd be yeah. sick if we have like just like a hundred people yeah. drawing their own version of Medusa. That'd be amazing. Talk about complexity. Yeah. That'd be cool. Wow. All right, cool. Thanks, man. Appreciate yeah. you being on the show. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. Anytime. Oh, real quick. Um, where can people find you? Instagram. That's it. Higgs Diggs. H-I-G-G-S underscore D-I-G-S. I don't have any other um, any other social media platforms where I really share my art. It's really just Instagram. All right, cool. Yeah. Thanks, brother. Appreciate yeah, thank it. you. Yeah.